But we are glad you're here this morning. Uh, this whole month of March, we've been working through this series, Marriage from Fairy Tales to Faithfulness. And this morning, we're kind of ending up our series, and we're talking about marriage being a lifelong commitment. And as we begin this morning, I want you to watch this video of one of our very own couples who've, who've been married, and they've made this lifelong commitment to each other. Watch this video. Tony and I have been married 25 years in May. After our first date, I realized that, that I wouldn't see her more. It wasn't until about five, six months later we were in wedding together. And then it was about one day after that when she was in her accident. And I realized that, hey, I wanted, I wanted to, if she was going to survive the accident, which at the time we did not know she was going to. If she was going to do that. I got cards when I was in the ICU, and I remember the nurse saying, This guy sounds really terrific. And I kept thinking, I wish I could remember him. It's nice to know he's terrific, and I don't remember him. He uh, was ready to uh, ask me to marry him. We were dating a year when he was going to ask me to marry him. I did not know this, however, and it was Valentine's, and he had the ring in his pocket. I think my sister was the only person that knew he had bought a ring. And once again, I was in the hospital, and uh, he had sent flowers, roses, and he had a teddy bear, and he came, sat by my side like he always did. And um, he started talking about marriage, and he looked at him, and I put my hands up there, I can't marry you until I can be a wife. How often do you say, I love you? We say, I love you daily, more than once. How would you describe your feelings without using the word love? Respect. Great respect and admiration for what she has to go through every day. If you could say thank you for something about Tony, what would it be? For always being there. For always being patient. That's a hard question is to say one, one thing to say thank you to her for. I say thank you for her, just, goes out there just, for, just for being her, for how she cares about other people, how she take, takes care of our family and our boys and, and her family, and how she's concerned about other people doing services, making dinners and stuff for people at the church, and just, just how she cares about people in general. What role does your relationship with Christ have in your relationship? God first, and then my husband. Well, for us, I think the relationship with the Lord is meaning a lot, meaning a lot of the Lord. And God is the head of our home. I believe that um, having devotions and praying and um, coming to church is important. What does she mean to you? My wife, she means uh, she everything to me with the way she works. The way she um, takes care of the boys, the home, the way she takes care of me, the way she's uh, concerned about her family, everything that's going on and everything. So I just, I just look to her to uh, be, my, uh, be my support, be my, be my help in everything we do together. So. I was moved about the end, too. I had what he had to say about me. It's always good to know that how he feels and 
Um, he does tell me a lot, so um, it's not like he ever says it, but it's, it's nice to hear something. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Love. Respect. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. And when you walk down the aisle that special day with that special someone that God has brought into your life, you don't at that moment realize all the ups and the downs that you might go through. But uh, hopefully you do realize that no matter those ups and downs, you're going to go through it with someone. It's a lifelong commitment. And uh, uh, marriage is a faithful commitment to a covenant of unconditional love to a, to, toward a flawed person. Uh, it's, it's a faithful commitment of unconditional love to a flawed person. And, you know, if, if we were perfect, it'd probably be easy to make that commitment. But we're not. Uh, we're imperfect people, and we marry another imperfect person. And so that makes that commitment at times a difficult thing to fight for and work for. But the marriage relationship is so significant that God chose it as a picture of his relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, he was the husband to Israel. And in the New Testament, Christ is seen as the husband of the church. And in our world today, marriages are viewed as contracts. So this morning, I just want to take just a few brief moments and look at the difference between what is a contract marriage and what's a covenant marriage. The difference between a contract and a covenant. And in spite of the fact that the concept of covenant is seen all throughout the Bible, we don't use the word covenant a whole lot in our conversation today. When's the last time you maybe used that word in your conversation? Most of us maybe have little understanding of what really the word means. When we think of marriage, we usually uh, do so in terms of contract rather than a covenant. And in reality, the two words are quite different. They're quite different. So let's focus this morning first on contract marriages, and then we'll talk about covenant marriages. Uh, but contract marriages, and in order to understand a, a contract marriage, we need to understand a contract because uh, it's important. In contracts, that's not unusual. Our society is a contract-based society. We enter contracts every single day. And a contract is an agreement between two parties arranging an exchange of goods and services. One party agrees to provide something for the other in exchange for something else. And for most of our contracts, what is exchanged is money. Money is exchanged. It's all very business-like. That's why it's called a contract. It's not very relational at all. It's just a business agreement. It's a business agreement. One person agrees to do something if the other person agrees to do something. And unfortunately, our, our culture tends to depict marriage a lot like a contract. It's not a covenant of grace. It's, a, it's more like a business arrangement. And so let's, let's explore this contract mentality just a little bit more. Some of our contracts are legally binding, and some of them are just morally binding. Now, an example of a legally binding contract for all of us, or for most of us in this room, uh, we have one sitting in our pockets right now, or our purses, our cell phones. 
We've entered a contract when we, when we signed up for our cell phones. If we have a cell phone, we've, uh, we've entered into a legal contract with our cell phone carrier. And we receive a bill on a monthly basis for the cell service that they provide. So we've entered in this contract. Usually they're two-year contracts. If we stop paying our bill, then they will stop providing us with cell service. And so in a moment's notice, we can't go on social media or text our friends or, or ask Google any question that we might have. If we refuse to pay, they'll stop our service, sometimes turning us over to a bill collector. And if we've not paid the, our, our past due, then we won't have the opportunity to, to, to have a cell contract until we make that, uh, pay that bill. So the past debt has been paid. And so that's a legal contract that all of us are probably familiar with. We all have a cell phone. We've all entered into a contract. But you know, we all make informal contracts too. And some of them, maybe, maybe they uh, revolve around dinner. Maybe this happens at your house uh, where husbands and wives kind of enter in a contract where the wife says, you know what, I will make dinner if you do the dishes. We've entered into this informal contract. No court of law will ever hold up that contract, but as people of integrity, right, you feel the need to follow through on your word. And so the wife makes dinner and the husband cleans up. But any informal contract is only as good as the character of the people who make it. Now, in legal contracts like our cell phone, if one, if one of the parties doesn't fulfill its obligation, the other party may sue them to, to gain their fair settlement, to get what is due to them. And in an informal or a non-legal contract, uh, the contract, the broken contract becomes a source of argument, accusation, and maybe even abuse as we try to persuade one party to keep their end of the agreement. Now, contracts are important. Our world is full of contracts. And even as a married couple, we, we've entered into numerous contracts throughout the years. Maybe, maybe you've entered in one of these contracts. If you get the kids ready for school, then I'll put them to bed. Or, you know, if you make dinner, I will clean up. Or maybe this one, as, as spring is almost here, you know what? If you handle and weed the flower beds, I'll mow the grass. We entered into these, all these kinds of informal contracts in our, in our relationship, and there's nothing wrong with making such contracts. Matter of fact, they, they're probably part of a normal married couple's uh, relationship. These relationships help us get things done using our different abilities and interests for our mutual benefit. So, you know, in every marriage, they have some sort of in, in, informal contracts that you've made, agreements that you make with one another to do certain things. But legally, our country and state may claim marriage is a contract with certain rights and responsibilities. But biblically, we know that God created marriage and he created it to be a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not. And the problem arises when we come to view our marriage as a contract or a series of contracts. And when this happens, we become secular in our thinking and we've abandoned the biblical view of a covenant marriage. Our world views marriage as contracts. And some common characteristics of, of contracts are this. First of all, contracts are often made for a limited period of time. They're made for a limited period of time. 
When we, when we decide to lease a car, we sign a contract for a certain period of time. We get to drive that car until that time period is over, and then we've got to turn it over. We've got to give it back. When we enter into a rental agreement, whether if you're going on vacation, you're going to rent something, or if you're renting a house, it's for a certain period of time. And when the time period is up, that place is no longer yours. Or if we purchased a house, we entered into a mortgage agreement, either for 15 years to 30 years, and, and we have that time to pay off our house. Almost all legal contracts are made for a specific period of time. And if it's broken by either party, there's a penalty to be paid. But contracts are usually made with the idea that the arrangement will be mutually beneficial for both parties involved, However, if the circumstances change, the contract can be broken. The contract can be broken. So contracts are made for a certain period of time. And although most marriages ceremonies involve the commitment to as long as we both shall live or until death do us part, many couples give a contractual interpretation to these covenantal words. What they're really saying is, you know what, we're committed to each other so long as this relationship is mutually beneficial for both of us. We're committed to each other as long as it's mutually beneficial for both of us. If in two years or 20 years the marriage ceases to be mutually beneficial, then we'll break the contract. We'll break the contract. This contract mentality predisposes a married couple to divorce when the relationship falls on hard times. So contracts, first and foremost, they're, they're made for a limited amount of time. Secondly, contracts are based on an if-then mentality. An if-then mentality. This is the language of a contract. It's a negotiating tool based on a willingness to give in order to get. And, and an example, again, is back to your cell phone. Some companies, when you enter into a contract with them, uh, if you're willing to sign a two-year contract and pay the monthly service, what are they willing to do? Sometimes they're willing to give you a free cell phone. If you're willing to pay the two years and pay, the, and pay all the, the fees, we will give you this free cell phone. We'll give you this free cell phone. It's if then. And unfortunately, this is often the contractual mentality of many couples as they enter marriage. A husband's willing to give to make his wife happy if he gets something in return, if she is willing to make him happy. If then. It's a dangerous, dangerous way to base your marriage. But contracts are based on this if then mentality. And finally, contracts are motivated by the desire to get something we want. To get something we want. Almost always, the person who initiates the discussion about a contract wants something. This is the desire uh, or the motivation for trying to make a contract with another person. An example, if you're a salesman, you are the contract seeker. So you're going to initiate a conversation with the desire to make a sale. You want to make a sale and reap the benefits. Now, the salesman may believe in his product. He may think it's a good product. He may also believe that the product will serve you well. But if they did not desire the benefits of, of the, the sales contract, they wouldn't be a salesman for too long. So, so their, their whole focus is, is they want to, uh, to initiate a contract, a contract to make a sale, to reap the benefits 
to get something that they want. In marriages across this country, unfortunately, the same principle is often true. But as Christians, we're told not to be selfish in marriage, not to focus only on what we want, but to be selfless servants focusing on meeting our spouse's needs. See, marriage is mutual servanthood, not manipulation. Marriage is mutual servanthood, not manipulation. And to the Christian, marriage is much more than a limited contract. It's a lasting covenant. It's much more than a limited contract. It's a lasting covenant. When we walk down the aisle on our wedding day, we're not entering into a limited contract. We're entering into a lasting covenant. So let's look at covenant marriages. And some might say, well, why the term covenant marriage? We, we don't really hear that a whole lot. Well, this denotes the uniqueness of Christian marriage. And covenant is a biblical term, and God is a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-making God. And so we need to understand covenants. And very simply, a covenant is this. It's a permanent promise that one person makes to another person. It's a permanent promise that one person makes to another person. The Hebrew word for for covenant that's used in the Old Testament comes from the word to cut. And in the Bible, we see that God made very serious agreements or covenants in which the parties involved sealed their promise in the midst of cutting. In the midst of cutting. So as we look at covenants in Scripture, we know that God makes covenants with man. And and specifically this morning, I want to focus on God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, we see God made a covenant with Abraham. He promised him land, descendants, and promised him blessing and the redemption for him and all the peoples of the earth. And then we read a little bit further on in Genesis 15, we see the celebration of this covenant, the covenant ceremony where animals were cut in half and God passed through the middle of those animals, making, making the promise of this covenant. In essence, God was saying, you know, well, let what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't fulfill the covenant. So God made a covenant with Abraham, and he passed through those animals, and he said, I'm going to fulfill that covenant, and if I don't, let what happened to these animals happen to me. So God makes covenants with man. But you know, also throughout Scripture, we see man makes covenants with other men. In 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan makes a covenant with David. And in Ruth chapter 1, Ruth makes a covenant with Naomi. So God makes covenants with man, and man makes covenants with other man. But in the Bible also, marriage is viewed as a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. Marriage is viewed as a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 2, he's writing to his son. He's trying to to communicate wisdom to his son. And verse 16 says this, Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman and her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant that you make with your spouse before God. In Malachi chapter 2, Malachi is talking to Israel, and in verse 13 he says this, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. 
You weep and wail because he, is, he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Marriage is a lifelong covenant, a permanent promise between a man and a woman. So there's some common covenant characteristics that I think we need to recognize and realize if we're going to fulfill the covenant of marriage that we've entered in with or when we enter in uh, to it. Number one, covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Jonathan made a covenant with David in 1 Samuel 18, 2. It says, From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And notice here in these verses that Jonathan took the initiative in the covenant. He's the one that took the initiative. His first first act was an act of giving. His robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And Jonathan's motivation for making this covenant with David grew from his love for David and not from a selfish desire to try to manipulate David to get something uh, you know, in, in return from him, but it, it grew from a love for David. Ruth makes a covenant with Naomi in Ruth 1.16. It says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. In the first part of chapter 1 in Ruth, we realize that uh, Naomi doesn't have anything to offer Ruth anymore. Her husband, Naomi's husband has died, and her sons have died, and Ruth was married to one of those sons, and and now Naomi's going back to her home country, and, and she's probably not going to have any more sons, and she has nothing to offer Ruth, and yet Ruth makes this covenant with Naomi. She's clearly concerned for Naomi's well-being. And covenants are born from a desire to minister to the other person, not to manipulate them or to get something. And therefore, in covenant marriage, each spouse is committed to the other's well-being. The motivation and attitude is not self-gratification, but self-sacrifice for the other's well-being. Now, let's be honest. If you're married here this morning, let's be honest. When you got married, were you totally focused on your spouse's well-being? I mean, let's be honest. Were you totally thinking, oh, hey, you know, I'm excited I'm getting married today, and and I'm just focused on my other's well-being. If we're really honest... We loved and cared about our spouse, but we we're also focused on our own well-being, right? Like, this is going to be great. You know, this is going to be great for me. We're going to get married, and, 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 and I love my wife, and she's going to love me, so I'm going to benefit from this arrangement. If we're honest, I bet that's kind of how we all felt when we walked down the aisle. And our attitude on the day we were married is not as important as our attitude is today. And as we've grown, as we've matured, as we've grown in our relationship with the Lord, I hope that our attitude has changed a little bit. 
I hope our attitude of, uh, about marriage has changed and it's more, it's not selflessly focused on our needs, but focused to selflessly, selflessly serve the needs of our spouse. I hope, our, I hope we've grown and matured and our love has grown and it's not just about us and marriage, but it's about how can I love and serve my spouse? But covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Number two, and in covenant relationships, people make unconditional promises. They make unconditional promises. The strong words of Ruth's commitment to Naomi are not conditional statements. She didn't say, hey, hey Naomi, I will go with you. I will go back to your homeland, and if things work out all right for me, then I'll stay. But if they don't, I'll go back to my homeland and with my relation and my people. Th- those weren't, those weren't Na- Ruth's words to Naomi. It was an unconditional statement. It was an unconditional statement that she made to, um, uh, to Naomi. And at weddings, we state the very similar and strong words when we declare our intent and make our vows to one another. In every wedding, there's the declaration of intent. And, it's, uh, and it sounds something like this. At, at my wedding, the pastor asked me this question. He said, Jonathan, will you have Dana to be your wedded wife, to live together? In God's holy covenant of marriage, will you love her, comfort her, honor her, and keep her, forsaking all others and remaining faithful to her as long as you both shall live? And I answer that question, I will. And at that moment, at the declaration of intent, we stated, we stated publicly our intentions to all the witnesses in the room that we were going to fulfill, that we were committed to one another for a lifetime. And a little later on in the service of, uh, in every wedding, it comes to the vows and, and, the, and the bride and the groom, they turn to face each other and they repeat vows to one another, to promises. And at my wedding, I made a, a promise like this. I, Jonathan, with thanks to God for this wonderful blessing, take you, Dana, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And with God as my witness and strength, I pledge you my faithfulness. And when I looked at Dana that day, I made a personal promise to her in front of God and all the witnesses in the room. That vow was a, was a personal promise. It was a powerful promise. And today, a lot of people want to rewrite vows in the weddings, and, and they fill them with a lot of emotional statements but the very, the very heart of a vow, it's that promise, that covenant promise that you make with one another for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, till death do us part. It's a powerful and unconditional promise. It's a choice that isn't conditioned on the other's conduct. Number three, covenant relationships are based on steadfast love. And the characteristic of steadfast love is at the center of covenant marriage. And as Christians, we find great security in knowing that God is not fickle, but his love for us is unconditional. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We don't have to wonder what God's attitude toward us will be tomorrow. We know that it's the same as it is today. His love for us never ceases. 
And Paul challenges us to display the same type of love to others in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, when he says, Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. You know, we make contracts with almost anyone, even an unknown salesperson that we've never seen before. But covenants are made only with those with whom we have a loving relationship with. Consider Jonathan's covenant with David. Jonathan did not make a covenant with David in order to establish a relationship. The covenant grew out of a loving relationship that was already established. And God's steadfast love motivates us to enter into a covenant with him. We know in our hearts that God is committed to our best interest. And therefore, with confidence, we can commit our lives to loving and serving him. And in covenant marriage, the same thing is true. We enter our marriage with a sense that we are loved and we can freely commit ourselves to love each other for life. And we're then responsible for maintaining this attitude of love throughout the marriage. So obviously this love is more than a romantic feeling. It's something much more deeper. Steadfast love isn't centered on feelings because feelings change. It's centered on a choice to be loyal in our love for life. We make a choice to be loyal in our love for life. No exceptions. And finally, covenant relationships view commitment as permanent. Views commitment as permanent. When Ruth entered in the covenant with Naomi, those were permanent words. She said, where you die, I will die and be buried. That's permanent. That's a permanent promise. And the permanence of human covenants is also illustrated in Jonathan's covenant relationship with David. The covenant was made when David was young and long before he was king over Israel. And years later, after Jonathan's death, we find David asking in 2 Samuel 9.1, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? And that kindness is the, is, is the word for steadfast love for Jonathan's sake. It was discovered that Jonathan had a crippled son who was still living named Mephibosheth. And David brought him into his own house and cared for him for the rest of his life. David's covenant with Jonathan was permanent. It transcended Jonathan's death. David wanted to show kindness to Jonathan's son because he had this covenant relationship with his dad. He wanted to honor that. And at our wedding, till death do us part or so long as we both shall live are common statements and they're statements of covenant. They're statements of covenant. Unquestionably, covenant is meant to be permanent. It's not a contract for the next five years or till we find justifiable reasons to end the marriage, but these are permanent promises that we make. Christian marriage is a commitment that is permanent. So as we close our series today, marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. It's a covenant that's initiated for the benefit of the other person, founded on an unconditional promise and permanent commitment, and is based on steadfast love. 
And as we close today, those of us who are married or someday will get married, let's never forget this important, important truth. Marriage is not a limited contract. It's a lasting covenant of lifelong commitment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have this morning just to to open up your word and celebrate the fact that you're a covenant-making God. And Lord, that you've given us marriage as a picture of a covenant, a permanent promise, a lifelong commitment, Lord. And we know that we live in a society and a world that views marriage as disposable. Marriage is something that we enter in for our own benefit. And when it's not benefiting us anymore, then we can, we can end it and move on and try to find something else that will bring us happiness and fulfillment, Lord. And we know that you've told us that marriage is a lifelong covenant. It's a permanent promise that we make to our spouse that we will choose to love and serve and care for them for the rest of our lives. And Lord, it's my prayer this morning that all of our marriages in this room and all of the future marriages in this room, that we would not buy into the lie of contract marriage that our society so easily tries to sell us. But Lord, that we would honor the covenant that we made with our spouse. That we would choose to serve them and love them and honor the permanent promise that we made on our wedding day. Lord, we started this whole series at the beginning of the month saying that marriage is a picture of the gospel. And when we do marriage right, we communicate your love and your care to those around us that are watching us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to honor our marriage covenants that we've made and honor you in Jesus' name.